Hello and welcome to Your Employment Matters. I'm Beverly Williams and I'm here to help you navigate your career. This is for anyone who's searching for their dream job or promotion, or perhaps you're just looking to hang on to the job you have. Today's work environments are multi-generational, multi-religious, multinational, multiracial, and multi-gender and multi-gender identity. Add market disruptors like Amazon and Lyft, along with the addition of AI, and it's easy to see why finding and keeping a job is such a challenge. Employment success and even employment survival depend on your ability to adapt. That's why my goal for this 30-minute podcast is to first advocate embracing change and differences, and second, to encourage you to proactively assume responsibility for your career. Get your work week off to a good start by listening to Your Employment Matters every Monday. Find out how to own your career and get the best practices for making your employment matter. Well, today we're going to talk about entrepreneurial endeavors, being an entrepreneur and what that means. Let's start by defining entrepreneur. As my goddaughter told me, when you want to know something, godmother, go to the Google. So I Googled entrepreneur, and this is what I found. An entrepreneur is a person who organizes and operates a business or businesses, taking on greater than normal financial risks in order to do so. A person who starts a business and is willing to risk loss in order to make money, one who organizes, manages, and assumes the risks of a business or enterprise. Now, according to one website, it's called The Balance Small Business. I think the name of the website is The Balance, and Small Business is a special subsection of that website. It identifies characteristics of a successful entrepreneur. And these characteristics, just to name a few, because obviously there are more, include passion, independent thinking, optimism, confidence, tenacity, and vision. Now, as I said, that's not a comprehensive list, but that's an indication of just several of the very important characteristics successful entrepreneurs tend to have. There are also different types of entrepreneurs, including small business owners, home-based and online businesses, lifestyle entrepreneurs, inventors, and serial entrepreneurs. Now, while it may be simple to establish a business because it's nothing more than filing the appropriate forms with typically a state agency to establish a business, even being an unsuccessful entrepreneur takes work. There are things that you have to do on a daily basis. And even if you have some of the characteristics that I enumerated, you may not be successful, but you may be working hard and you may not be working in furtherance of your goals and objectives, at least those that you think you have established and are focused on. 
Now, don't misunderstand. Although it's easy to establish a business, being a successful business person, a successful entrepreneur takes planning, hard work. It takes research. It takes attention to detail. It takes so many things that perhaps people don't readily know of. And quite frankly, maybe some people who want to become entrepreneurs aren't prepared to do. Now, some of the steps involved in becoming an entrepreneur is being focused on the development of those entrepreneurial characteristics that I identified earlier. Tenacity, independent thinking, passion. The other thing is you got to have a good idea, if not a great idea, that people are willing to pay for. Detail, attention to detail, and a detailed plan for success are essential. Finally, consistent execution and dedication to that plan. My guest today is Sean Karami, who is a serial entrepreneur. Sean's experience, in my opinion, is not only unique, it's inspirational as well as aspirational. Welcome, Sean. Thank you for taking the time from your busy schedule today to tell us about your employment journey. Hi, Beverly. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Now, just so you know, listeners, Sean and I met virtually last week. Before that, I didn't know him. I still don't know him. I hadn't met him. But when I heard him, his story, at least part of it, because there were other people involved in our discussion, I was struck by something he said. And I said, you know, I've never heard that before. And I hazard a guess that many other people had not heard that before. And I realized that Sean's employment journey, the path he selected for himself was unique. And it might be beneficial for people who are uncertain about how to move forward with their careers, with their employment. It might be beneficial to hear from, from Sean. So, Sean, why don't you tell us about your employment journey and your entrepreneurial experiences? And please, please, don't leave out your uh, resume experience. <laughs> well, you know, um, I guess we'll get to that with respect to my resume because that, that's kind of interesting to me. But, um, you know, I um, always, uh, from the time I was a little kid, you know, my father was an entrepreneur. We're immigrants. We moved here from Iran. And my father had his own construction business and he had, you know, uh, he would build roads, bridges, buildings. And as a, you know, six, seven, eight, nine year old kid getting to go to these construction sites and actually climbing over uh, some of the equipment, bulldozers and getting in there, you know, very exciting for a little kid. And so I always wanted to get into that business, obviously. And that desire to get into that business extended well into my teens. Ultimately, by the way, I never got into the construction business. Uh, it's funny because I was listening to another entrepreneur who said he would never, ever, he never thought he'd ever get into the, his father's business. And his father's business was an insurance business. And I, you, you can understand why, or a lot of us do. But he ended up actually getting into his father's business and actually growing it into a big national company. 
but you know, it, it's, it's weird how that happens. And you think you're going to do one thing and you end up not. But anyway, you know, getting into my teens, I still wanted to get into construction. And uh, we had moved over to the US. My father was never able to sort of grow his uh, business to the same level because believe it or not, if you move countries uh, when you're in your 40s at the time that he was well into his 40s, it's difficult to recreate your career in a whole new place. But anyway, he he managed to get his hands on a, a couple of small income properties, but he was having a lot of trouble managing them because at that time, it didn't make sense to get a professional management company, didn't make financial sense. He was not uh, equipped to really manage that kind of a business. And at the time, there were, there were um, personal computers were getting into, into homes, and I was able to put together a little program, a little database program to help him and help him manage this, these uh, couple of properties. But what I also did was I started going to his friends who were in the same boat. And saying, okay, you know, I can I can help with this stuff. So I made a little business out of it, and that was when I was in my teens. I, however, always believed in formal education. I don't necessarily believe that that's the right path for everybody, but for me, I I love that kind of very focused and almost cramming of information into your brain that happens when you go to school. So I spun off that business. I went into um, college. I stayed there for quite a while. A lot of times I say it's because I was lazy. I, I like the college <laughs> life. You know, I got a degree in mathematics, another one in computers, and I sort of backed into a third degree, which was economics. I had taken so many electives in that area that it only, you know, it was not that much more for me to go get an actual degree in it. I applied for more units. I stayed in. So I got, um, I got a degree in um, economics. I then went and got a degree in law. I also, while I don't have degrees in them, I, I went on to have a lot of formal education in marketing, sales, and accounting. So, but during that entire time, I, you know, I had friends and colleagues, um, well, not colleagues, schoolmates, really, right, that were looking at, okay, what industry do I get into? What company do I apply to? How do I do my resume? You mentioned resume. <laughs> all this stuff. It was never a thought in my mind. I mean, in my mind, I was going to go do my own thing. I was going to go start something. I don't know why I thought that way, but that's the way I thought. It was not really interesting to me to go uh, and uh, work at some company. It didn't, for whatever reason, it just did not seem to have, I, I didn't have, you mentioned the word passion. I didn't have much passion for it. I didn't have much understanding of that thing. I, to me, my mind, the way it works is I have to understand entirety of things. and. Um, you know, so it just, it just, for whatever reason, it didn't click for me. Uh, and that's why I never did that. And, and I never did a resume. And recently I was talking to my wife. It was something that dawned on me. I said, you know, I've never, ever done a resume. I don't have one. I've done bios. I've done things like that, but I don't know what a resume for me would even look like. That's amazing. You have no idea. When I heard that my jaw dropped. Yeah. Okay. I've never heard anyone say that before. It's I found that that's unusual. You know, really? I've never actually I've never received a W2 from a company I haven't owned. You know, or had, you know, significant ownership interest in. That's amazing. You are amazing, Sean. <laughs> no, I, I don't I, I I don't equate it to that. It's just it, it's funny because here's here's uh something that I realized not too long ago which 
my wife uh, has worked with me for, for many years, you know, off and on. And, you know, she would tell me things like, oh, well, no, your employees aren't going to understand X, Y, and Z, or they're not going to like to do, you know, A, B, and C. And I never understood those things until kind of recently where I actually, you know, really put this in my head together because I never have put that together. You know, saying I've never had that employee experience, what it means to have a direct boss, right? Uh, we all have bosses, right? We, we, you know, I have investors, I have, you know, lenders, things like that. And I don't refer to them as bosses necessarily, but look, you know, you, you, you have to, you know, give them a voice in things and they, they actually have a say in things, you know, but I've never had that direct boss where, you know, and they say, okay, now go do this. Now there's this project we got to move forward. Now this is your part in some other project. I've never done that. And I've never been in that situation where, you know, someone says something, I find it intimidating. So talking to an employee, I know how, you know, how I talk to an employee. I don't know how it feels, how it's received from the other side, right? Well, have you had any feedback before your wife? <laughs> did, I, I, did, did you, I mean, I went you, through, seem like, you seem like, a, from what I could discern, an observant person, a person that's empathetic. Did you see an expression? on an employee's face or body language that said, made you think, oh, did I, what, ha- what happened? Did well, I say over, over, the, over time, what I've done is I've also, as part of, you know, I don't call it formal education. I've had years of leadership training going through various courses of, of that sort, but it does take a lot of thought to actually put yourself in that situation. And you, it's very difficult. And so a, a lot of times, you know, even though, you know, in other facets of life, you know, I, I'm very much into what are the different perspectives that people yeah. people think, where do they come from? How are they seeing things, right? And I always have tried to put that into how um, I am inside the employment situation. But I do think that, you know, there is great a great deal of value to walking in another person's shoes. And that literally that thing of walking in someone else's shoes when it comes to that employment setting, that I haven't done. And so to the extent I lack perspective, I found that it mostly comes from that. It's not from a lack of trying. I really have. But, you know, at the same time, when you haven't walked in another person's shoes, sometimes you don't see certain things. But it's something that I do concentrate on. I have concentrated on greatly, you know. But it took my wife sort of repeating it to me to say, no, you don't understand when it, when something comes out of your mouth to your employee, regardless of how you want to be perceived, regardless of what you want to say, there is a, an impression there that is that boss employee type relationship that you really need to be mindful of. And for me, for example, I'm the type that says, Hey, Here's what I'm thinking. What do you think? Because I, and I'm and I'm very very much into. Hey, look, I really want to get the best product. My point is getting the best product. I'm part of the team here, right? So I want you guys to speak frankly and <laughs> tell me this and that because that's the only way we get to the best result in my mind, at least. And what response do you usually get? Well, I get the, the response is good, except that I think it still is tainted by this thing of. Can I say no to this person? 
Can I say, hey, well, you're can wrong? I right? Can I be candid? Can exactly. I be and I tend to have a very strong personality. Um, I'm a type A person. You know, <laughs> this came up a number of years ago where uh, we were getting into a conference room, okay? And it was a big meeting. And uh, somebody said, oh, do you want to s- sit at the head of the table? And I said to the person, why? He said, well, you know, you're, you're the owner of the company. You're the, you're the boss. You, you get the head of the table. And I kind of chuckled. You know, it's, it was tongue-in-cheek. And it was, it, I know it comes off arrogant. But, but I said, oh, the head of the table is wherever I sit. I don't care where physically I'm sitting. Wherever I sit is the head of the table. But it's no, you're right. Well, it's you know it's obnoxious, but but I was making an obnoxious joke. But you know I do have a strong personality, and um, you know some of those things that you mentioned when you when you looked up the definition of an entrepreneur, you know with confidence things like that. You know I don't know if it's confidence or not, but but it is a strong personality, and everything is a gift and a curse. I always say that everything is a gift and a curse. And the curse side of that is that when you have that type of a thing, you tend to be sometimes overwhelming. You know, there's all kinds of negatives that come with that. And as a as a boss, while that may be in some people's minds a requirement to being the boss or being the owner or being the entrepreneur, as an employer, it may not come off as the best trait all the time. And you have to be incredibly careful putting aside laws, putting aside all of those things, it's for two reasons. One is just general respect and giving people the importance that they have in life. And two is to get the best result. Uh, I mentioned that before. But going back to, to respect, I don't think that being an entrepreneur, being a boss or anything is particularly makes one person better than another. It's the different journeys that you take. Some people, like I mentioned my friends, right? that, uh, you know, and classmates that wanted to go and work in a company. And I didn't have any interest in that. That doesn't make them worse than me. And frankly, a lot of them have been humongously successful in all kinds of facets of life. You know, it's just a different way of being. And I don't think that in that setting of employer-employee, that defines who people are. So having respect for your employees, your subordinates, is just as important as them having respect for you. And I think it's, it's, a, uh, it's something that's required. And so sometimes when you have an overpowering personality or you, you're very much a type A personality, that gets missed. And sometimes you come off disrespectful, even if when you're not meaning to. So you have to be, it has to be something you work at all the time, every or day. Arrogant. Sometimes it's, at, you know, yeah. as a type A personality myself, some of the things you're talking about, I've heard. Yes. Yeah, you can come on. Yeah. That's not who. That's not intended. But there's a certain level of self confidence that is just almost part of the DNA. And sometimes, when I, my grandmother used to say, "You speak with authority." I mean, and 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 I was like ten. Right. It's just who I am. Yeah, and in you know, that's who you are and you have your confidence, but at the same time, you got to be careful that that doesn't, even though you don't even, you you don't feel that way and you don't feel like arrogant, you want to make sure you also don't give the impression of, because after all, you're you right. know, how you're perceived 
is just as important as how you are. It's you're absolutely right, but it takes time to I think to realize that. Yeah, it it, it does. You know, and over time, you <laughs> I've seen people's reactions to what I said, similar to what you said about wherever I sit is that is the head of the table. I've yeah. seen the look on people's faces when I've said something like that. Yeah. And I realized, so, you know, then I, you know, I self-correct. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, you just have to be very careful that you're not perceived uh, that way. And particularly that now, now, aside from showing people the respect that they deserve, because everyone does, then what happens is that can translate into, as a business concept, a downturn in productivity. You're not going to be, your group is not going to be as productive. Your team is not going to be as much of a team as you need. And your success rate is going to suffer for it. So as a business concept, then you start having negatives come from that. So that, that that's something, for example, that I've had, I work on daily, every day. Even before I got on this program with you, I had two meetings with different groups uh, in, in my company. And I was, frankly, I was a, a little bit upset uh, at both of the teams. And I had to make sure that the way that I present my point of view does not come off as arrogant, does not come off as disrespectful, and does not hamper their productivity. And that's a challenge. It's a daily, hourly yeah. challenge. Leading is not easy. No. People who want to be leaders they need to learn. <laughs> they really need to learn. It's not easy. It's not as easy as it seem, as it may seem. It's not. I, I don't know that it seems easy to everyone, but it may seem easy to some. Leading a team is not easy. And particularly if you're dealing with small businesses and medium-sized businesses, those become a lot more challenging in, in different ways. And so I've, I've been inside of entire industries that are like that where you have to be very careful at dealing with other business owners within the industry. Because as it, when you deal with small and medium-sized businesses, you know, it's, it, sometimes it's a lack of sophistication, but other times it's also where you know, it's more emotional. You're dealing with uh, more emotional decision makers at times. And so you know, you, you, you have to be mindful of those things, even dealing with your competitors, even dealing with your colleagues that are not necessarily inside of your, your sphere and your particular company, because you're also operating within an industry, always, uh, no matter what you think, you're always within an industry. And so in order to become one of the leaders within an industry, you have to do all of those same things. Uh, and none of those people are your employees. So, you know, it's important to take these things, not only just with your employees, but also with your colleagues. Mm. Well, other than your wife, <laughs> who do you go to when you need advice or if, if you've made a mistake, if there's something hasn't worked out, how do you, who's your go-to person or do you have a, what do they call it? A kitchen cabinet that you, you talk to? Well, you know, sometimes I go, I go to just family and I talk to, to family members. There are different people that I seek different advice from. Believe it or not, my daughters, they tend to be incredibly candid, a word you mentioned. And uh, sometimes it's hurtful, but, <laughs> but at least I know 
that they're not speaking out of uh, it comes fear. from love. <laughs> it comes from love. As a daughter, I've had to have some of those conversations. It comes yeah. from love, always from love. Yeah, and so you know, there's there's that kind of a thing, and there's also I, I always um, seek mentors regardless of anything, only because of just being able to get some level of perspective that I feel is being given to me in in a relatively honest way without the filters that a lot of people have when they speak to me. But other than that, Beverly, you know, part of the problem is that, you know, you got to act. Ultimately, uh, I keep going back to this gift and a curse, right? I am not afraid of acting and pushing things forward and seeing how they turn out. And sometimes that means that I've made the wrong decision and I'm, I'm going to have to deal with uh, a lot of fallout from it. Sometimes they just go really well. You know, hopefully in, uh, on balance, uh, they, they have gone extremely well, but that doesn't mean you don't have failures and things don't go wrong. But I try to get some sort of mentorship at all levels. You know, I didn't always have a mentor. Fortunately, as my career progressed, I did identify some. And sometimes people come into your life. I didn't recognize a person as a mentor. I was about to leave. I I resigned from a job and I wanted to tell my boss what I thought of him. (laughs) Uh And his administrative assistant, it's like she read my mind. And she said, I know what you're thinking about doing. And I'm telling you, don't do it. Uh You don't burn bridges. And for some reason, because I'm not one who always listens to people, what you know, advice people give me, for some reason I listened to her. And I, you know, I left in a very respectful way, obviously more respectful than I had planned. And about seven years later, my former supervisor reached out to me and offered me a job that changed the trajectory of my career and put me in a in a d- different salary substantially different salary range. So, you know, it mentors are not always recognizable. <laughs> I guess that's the way to say it. But right. it's it's nice to have a formal one, your go-to person when you can when you're confronted with something that you're not either not sure of or you don't know what to do. You can get other opinions who opinions that you can you respect because there's a certain degree of of reliability of re, of success from your perspective because success looks different to different people i think yeah and you know it, it, one thing you mentioned is, is when you said mentor it can be mentors yes. plural and they need you know, to I, be. I have uh, yeah i have different people i talk to for different reasons and that's so i go to mentorship for di- to different sources and sometimes, by the way, there are, I form boards that actually are meant for that reason a little bit. You know, there's advisory boards you can form. There's, there's all kinds of things that you can do in order to provide yourself with some different perspective while at the same time insulating some of your decisions. There's a lot of purposes for different things. You know, yeah, just be careful to when you're, when you're, you know, in my mind, when, when one is looking out for mentors, it doesn't have to be the same person every time. No, and you know, I do that with friends too. They're, I have friends I go to when I'm angry 
And I just want somebody to agree with me, you know, it, and then there are, there are friends that I go to because they're level-headed and I know I'm going to, they'll be able to talk me down if I need to be talked down. They'll tell me if I'm wrong. And then there are friends that will, will say, it's going to be all right. Don't worry. You know, I have an eclectic group of friends and it's like a mentor. You, you need to be, you need to know who to go to, to get what you need, not what you necessarily want to hear, but what you need to hear. Yes. You know, another thing is that, you know, you, again, there's something you mentioned and I, and I really liked that you did that. You talked about how you didn't actually confront your boss and you didn't actually say the things that you wanted to say. Some of those things may have been out of anger and not productive, but it's also part of what I was uh, saying. It feeds into exactly that, where your boss is not getting proper feedback in that situation in order to correct a behavior that, that may be inappropriate, or at least come to you and say, well, yeah, I understand you took that as inappropriate. It may, it may be something that you misunderstood, right? And having an explanation given to you where you don't feel so bad about the exchange, about the, the relationship, it, it may actually fix things with, uh, with how you feel about it. So in a lot of ways, that, that lack of feedback that, that doesn't exist a lot of times going from employee to employer is crucial and it's it's a problem now. Some organizations, again, we you know we've tried this in various companies that I've that I've run, is um, you know trying to get some form of feedback from uh, employees that that starts from sort of doing anonymous type things, sort of like suggestion box type things, but you know putting together a system where employees can actually give proper feedback feeling comfortable that they're at least not going to be retaliated against can be a way of getting that kind of a thing where, where the employer starts understanding how to deal with its employees, where the employee at least feels that they're not being treated properly or they need something better or they need certain tools. Uh, you know, it's incredibly important. And organizations over time have increased the amount of the, what they've done with that. You know, there was, there used to be a, a, a thing of, hey, I'm hiring you. You just come in and you do whatever I tell you to do. And a lot of employees want to do a really great job and they want to be productive and they want to make things happen. It, it, it's a feeling of accomplishment. But way back when, organizations weren't very good at providing the employees with the tools they need to do that. That starts with training or even, you know, providing proper pens, for example, at one point, right? Sure. Those things, are things that organizations have realized, hey, look, you know, we need that feedback from employees because people don't get into a job. They don't want to be there every day and just create failure. They want to themselves be successful. They want to be uh, acknowledged and they want to do a good job. So when you're hiring people and you're getting people that actually want to do a good job, sometimes when that doesn't work, it may be you, you as the employer. It may be your fault that they're not doing well because you're not providing them with the tools, with the information, with the training that they need in order to be successful and in turn make you successful. So it's very, very important as, as employers that you have the voice of your employees heard and you hear them actually and respond properly. And, the, uh, and, and, and there's a word you use, retaliation. In my experience, 
employees are afraid of retaliation. They're rarely candid, even when there is an online survey conducted, because they they don't trust. There's a lack of trust. There's a fear that they'll lose their jobs. And um, that's unfortunate because you're right. Supervisors, companies, businesses need feedback so that they can improve their business. They can improve their productivity. They can improve their selection of leaders. Without that constructive input, they're not going to be able to do that as well as they would otherwise. Yeah, it, it, it's good that you mentioned that that online uh, anonymous thing. The, you know, the, the part of the thinking is that there's no way I can be anonymous. There's exactly. no way I can do that. And if I cannot be anonymous, then I'm not going to make a comment. It's exact, not an honest one. Uh, exactly. And so these are huge challenges that people don't actually you know, really think through, especially small businesses. A lot of times what I notice is that that thought hasn't gone into that. And so you have a group of 50 employees, 100 employees that really don't have any way of communicating very productive, frankly, very productive information to the employer that would really help in the employer's business Okay, altogether yes. in b- having a successful business is not getting communicated from the employee to the employer. That is a very big challenge, and it's an area where organizations and companies can hugely benefit. For example, you have employees that are talking to your customers. A lot of business owners don't take the time to actually talk to their customers, especially once they get employees that do that. Let's assume you know that that's the case. You know, the people that are on the ground talking to customers, hearing from them and actually hearing their pain and and trying to address them, those people have some very, very valuable input. That input cannot be hampered down because of the employee-employer relationship because it hurts the business above anything else. Forget everything else. Forget the fact that employees have to be satisfied with their work. Forget that you want to give people respect. Forget all of those things. What about your business? You know, and so that that information that comes where you learn about your customer is incredibly important. You know, what I think is that sometimes it's helpful to have a middle person, maybe an employee relations person that the employee can talk to. But there would have to be trust built because if the employee relations person works for the company, it's going to be seen as a company person. And there won't be a, the, the trust necessary for the employee to be candid. Yeah. Having an employee advocate of sorts is, it has, again, all of these things have to be done right. Because every time you see, every time you and I are talking about it, where do we go back to? To that trust. Right. Can I be candid? Okay. And, yeah. and nobody wants to risk their job over that. No one wants to risk their career. Think about it. In your situation that you described, you talk to the executive assistant. And the thought process wasn't even for that job and for that moment. It was for the years to come, for your entire career. And so when you're as an employee, you're thinking through that kind of situation where it can have such such long lasting effect. You know, are you likely to be candid? No, it's not likely. And frankly, even when you are candid, you're going to hold back. Well, that's not... 
you need to be thoughtful about what you're saying and how you're saying it. My other problem was tone. <laughs> no, I come from, I'm the oldest of three children, but my father is loud. My brothers are loud. Yeah. And you have, my mother is a, is a, is a Southern belle, was a Southern belle. And so, but I had to, I had to be heard. <laughs> yeah. That's, you know, and, and by the way, then, then you get into these situations where you have uh, other forums where employees, former and otherwise, are expressing all kinds of opinions. And some of those you have to take with a grain of salt as well, because now you have an employee that sometimes was not involved in the process as much, did not have certain information, and is sort of unloading against an organization because they were dissatisfied when they left. A lot of their information comes from not having information, and uh, their perspective, you know, sometimes comes from not having it. And so you have this range of things of information that you're trying to sift through to dis- to work through a relationship, and and it's very difficult to do because when you look at those kinds of you know online forums, and you're trying to judge yourself as an employer, it's difficult to do because. You just don't know where that perspective is that's that's being expressed on that forum either. So the all of these things that are that are sort of coming at you as an employer, you know, come at you f- with these filters that may not be completely that may not provide you with proper input. You know, when I conduct investigations, and I know I've done a, I've done a lot. I tell the person I'm interviewing, it's important that you be honest and truthful. If you fail to do so, it could jeopardize your continued employment. I will not disclose what you say or give you or attribute it to you unless, unless there is a, some detriment to the company, criminal uh, liability or something like that. Other than that, just for the sake of this investigation, your identity will not be disclosed unless there's some legal issue. And that's worked. You know, if people would come to me and tell me stuff, and I, I mean, seriously, you have no idea what I hear. <laughs> but it works too. It's my reputation. I'm very ethical. <laughs> I, you know, with, if I give my word, I'm keeping my word. But I'm also not going to jeopardize a client's a reputation or well-being, I'm not making a commitment that I can't keep, in other words. Yes. And, and you also, the way you described it, you're building a lot of trust with someone so that they feel comfortable that when they disclose something to you, it's it stays between you and it's for, for a very specific purpose, that it's not going to be used for other purposes. And so building that trust is incredibly important. Uh, it, is. it sounds like is, is exactly what you're doing in that scenario. I mean, there was a situation where the information that came to me had, I mean, catastrophic implications organizationally to, to me personally, because if I didn't handle it well, could have been a problem. So, you know, I, I called the person. I said, let's meet. I need to talk to you. And then when I, after I talked to him, I said, and you know what? You need to do this so I don't have to. Because right. if you don't do it and I have to, it's going to be ugly. 
And it, you know, it, it, it worked. It really worked. I, I was grateful because I didn't really want to have to do what I would have had to do. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes it does. Uh, it also does take that kind of providing some sort of motivation to the person to go and take care of something, you know, again, it, it just, it's that additional thing of, okay, you, you got to go handle this. You got to go do this and giving them the motivation. And, and sometimes, sometimes, frankly, you're giving, giving them the backbone to do it. Sometimes, yeah. you know, you're giving them the courage to do it. Right. Yeah. And sometimes you're, you're providing them with the confidence they need too. you know, it's not just putting per, the person in a place where either you do it or I do it. Right. Sometimes you're saying, no, no, no this is the right thing to do. You should right. be doing this and it's giving going them to come out. It's right? going to come out. You want to yeah. get in front of it. Yeah. And, 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 and putting that in front of them and saying, this is going to happen and, and it's best if it gets handled this way or the other way. And yes. you're providing them with a roadmap. You're providing them with the confidence and you're, you're, you're telling them, you know, realistically how they should be thinking about it. That That's also important motivating factors in order to get people to, to do the right thing. No, it's important. What advice before we end this, because I, you know, I'm, I'm taking more of your time than I, than I planned, but before we end, do you have any advice for budding entrepreneurs? You know, um, several things. One is, just you know it's it's a it's a nike stole this from me no i did no they didn't but but i mean it, it, just go do it at some point you got to pull the trigger and go do it if you're going to go start your own business you got to go do it and you know a lot of times i see people that that don't take that step and i'll say to them you know well you have the best business that never took off uh, took off right that's what you have and sometimes i tell them this i say you know don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good i i love this statement because a lot of times what you're trying to do is just protect everything and make sure everything is absolutely perfect and you never end up doing anything. In that situation, you're letting that perfect be, be the enemy of actually doing something well and actually doing something, okay? Number two, I, I always uh, tell people, listen, this is hard work and you don't just go put up a shingle and do your thing. That's not, sure, you can be successful if you did that and lots of people have, but you can also buy the lottery and win buy a lottery ticket and win. The chances are very little. So what you need to do is find out what exactly is the industry that you're in and be very clear about it and study that industry, understand your competitors, understand your customer, who it is you're actually selling to, and then go about doing things. Number three, and this is incredibly important in my mind, I, I always say this, look, your product is not your business. Your business is your product, okay? Now, your product, what you sell, whether it's whatever widget you're selling, you want to be selling food products, whatever it is, those are products you sell. Those are not your business. And a lot of times uh, I, I give an example of professionals when I talk about this, like doctors or lawyers. When you go to a doctor or, or lawyer, you say, well, what, what, is, what is your business? You know, well, my business is, is making patients well, or my business is representing clients. No, that's the product. That's the service you provide. That is not your business. Your business is everything you do, how you interact with clients, what your customer service is like, what your staff is dealing with, how you get patients or clients. All of it is your business. And, you know, and here's where you, where, you know, you kind of take it for full circle. If you're running a store, yeah, you, you run, you, you sell all these products, right? Your business of doing all that, 
that your entire shop is the product you're providing to the world. Okay. That's a product you're providing to the world. Keep that in mind. It goes from your customer service, the way you deal with your returns, the way you deal with, you know, the product you're selling, how you sell it, how you package it, how you price it, all of those things, how you deal with your employees, how they deal with the outside world. All of that is your product. So your business is your product. That's what you're giving to the world. That's the entire package that they're paying for. And you can see this all over the place. You may go to a restaurant and that you say, you know, the food here is not that great, but geez, you know, you can't even, you know, get a reservation here or find yourself through the door because it's packed all the time. Why? And everyone's had that experience. The reason is that they realize everything you do. Yes, you go to restaurants to eat and food is a product you sell in restaurants. And that's what customers pay for specifically, right? But they go to restaurants for different reasons. And restaurants that get that end up having the best business. So that entire restaurant is the product. And so those those are the three things I would tell people. There's many others if I I sat here here and thought, but, you know, (laughs) (laughs) I won't bore you with them. (laughs) <laughs> no, I'm, I haven't been bored. And I'm sure our listeners are not, are, are, haven't been bored either. But, I, you know, I really appreciate you making yourself available and on really within a short period of time as an entrepreneur myself who didn't do the things you suggested doing. I'm going to listen to this again um, because there, there's information there that I know will be helpful to me. Well, anytime. I really appreciate you having me on. It's a, it's a pleasure and it's an honor. Thank you very much. I'm happy to talk to you whenever you want. And it's been a lot of fun. Thank you. Sean, thank you. And I look forward to talking to you again. If you, Anytime that you feel you have something that you think would be helpful to people, entrepreneurs or any other aspect of employment, please, you can get in touch with me. I want to make sure that people have access to information. And on this platform, it's free information that will be helpful to them. Fantastic. I will do that. Thank you so much. Until next time. Thanks for listening to Your Employment Matters with Beverly Williams. If you found this podcast helpful, please subscribe and leave a review. I truly appreciate your support and that helps other listeners find the podcast. If you have a comment, question, or suggestion, you can reach me at bawilliams at youremploymentmatters.com. My book, Get the Job Done, is available on amazon.com and barnesandnoble.com. Please join me again next week. Until then, remember to embrace change and differences. This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM network. Sound Advice FM, women's voices amplified.